Welcome to the Female CEO Show. I'm your host, Courtney Quinn. I'm a corporate dropout turned serial entrepreneur with a passion for helping female business owners step into your power and reach your full potential in business and in life. I'm on a mission to empower more women to become their own boss while teaching them how to do it in a healthy, scalable way that supports your dream life so that you're running a business and not owning a business that runs you. Whether you're a seasoned entrepreneur or you're still toying with the idea of diving into your own business, you're in the right place if you're looking for tools to support you as you are navigating the world of entrepreneurship as a woman, because I'm going to get real with you on how to do so. Let's dive in to today's episode. Hello, friends. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of the Female CEO Show podcast. Today, I am joined by Emily Perrin. She is a writer, speaker, and productivity coach who helps creative entrepreneurs expand and improve their teams with talented freelancers. Her number one goal is to align the right person with the right role so business owners and freelancers feel empowered to work within their individual skill sets and strengths. Emily's expertise lies in hiring and managing in your zone of genius, and we are going to dive into all things zone of genius, maximizing your productivity by working inside of your zone of genius, and using small goals to achieve more with Emily in today's episode. I am so excited. Emily, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? Hi, Courtney. I am so thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. Thank you. Emily and I crossed paths um, like at the very beginning of my kind of the start of my agency two years ago. Um, and she actually hired me on as a freelancer for one of her clients. And we have been fortunate enough to stay connected over the past couple of years. Uh, so I'm really excited to have her on as one of our first guests. So Emily, I would love to hear a little bit about your background, your story, kind of fill us in on your journey and kind of why you are the expert on zone of genius and productivity and small goals, all the things. That is such a great question. So why, how did I get here? Why, why is this my thing? So I think it really starts back in the corporate world. So I did start my career in the corporate world. I was there for almost 10 years and then I left in 2015 and started career coaching. That's how I started my business. And I hired pretty early because of that corporate experience. I had hired so much mm-hmm. in that space. And then also I have a master's degree in industrial and organizational psychology. And so I felt like I also had the education for it, right? I was like, most people don't have this. There weren't a ton of resources out there on hiring freelancers at the time. I mean, this is 2016. And so I just tried to figure it out. I made a ton of mistakes, uh, like, like all of them, all the mistakes you can make hiring a freelancer (laughs) five years ago, I made them. But then over the course of about a year to two years, I just figured it out. I figured out a really great process for consistently finding freelancers 
and hiring them. And so my friends started to notice that I had this way of doing it and they started asking me for help. And then people started hiring me to actually do their recruiting and build their organizational strategies. And and then along the way, I've also been really interested in goals and productivity and like, why did I feel so unproductive in the corporate world? I was trying to unpack that and really understand it so that I could learn and grow from it and, and do things differently in my own business over time. And and even when I was in the corporate world, I also did a lot of projects. It's funny, I was in the marketing department, right? And I have like this weird master's degree. (laughs) I have bachelor's in psychology and English literature, mind you. Like everyone had MBAs, (laughs) they had business degrees, finance degrees, marketing degrees. And I was just this like super weird person. And then I never really worked on marketing. I'd always be like, I'm in marketing. I work in the marketing department. But I was often on these projects to improve processes and improve things about the business. Mm -hmm. And so then there's also that side of me that I don't often share or talk about that I have that background um, in the corporate world. So that's what I did kind of my last three years while I was in marketing. That's the kind of work I was doing. And Super loved it because I just I love being efficient with my time. I want and and I want that in my business and I want that for my clients, right? So that's what I'm doing mm-hmm. now, right? I build these organizational strategies for bloggers and creative entrepreneurs and coaches. And what I love about that work is then like I'm freeing them up. Like if we can figure out the right roles and hire the right people, it'll then free them up and it gives them so much more time to do things that they love and to spend more time in their zone of genius as well. And so I'm such a maximizer. (laughs) I am a maximizer (laughs) and I am such a maximizer when it comes to this stuff. Oh, that all sounds amazing. I feel like I need help with that like productivity. So I'm like really excited to get more granular on that with you. But um, I resonated with you so much when you were like, I worked in marketing, but like I didn't actually do marketing because that's what I was in my corporate. I was like, technically I worked at an accounting firm, but I was the oddball out too. Like I didn't have an accounting degree. I had like an entrepreneurship degree and was working at an accounting firm, but I would just tell people like, yeah, like I'm an accountant because no one asks questions. They're like, oh, okay, cool. Like it doesn't make it difficult. Same with like, oh, like I just work, I work in marketing. It's like, oh, okay, easy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So when you, what did the jump look like when you left corporate to start your own business in career coaching? Oh, it looked like significant burnout recovery. Mm. It was a mess. I was super burned out (laughs) because I was just chasing, right? I was chasing the things. I was chasing big goals and big aspirations and promotions and levels and all this stuff. And it was just like, it was killing me because I think the big thing is that I think the person that I had to be to have that corporate success was just becoming further and further away from my true identity, like from my authentic self. And so, um, yeah, I just, I spent like a year to a year and a half just recovering from burnout. So I didn't hit my business hard. I, I just Mm -hmm. like gently walked into business. Right. And I've just been slowly growing, you know, over all the time because 
it's just been the best for me. I, I love slow growth. Mm-hmm. It's more sustainable for me. And I think with my history of burnout, I've just found that I just have to be really careful with how I'm spending my time and where I'm investing my energy. Absolutely. I love that approach. I have gone through burnout a couple of times. So I I really relate to you on that. And it really kind of has changed my mindset on like, I have to make this happen. I have to chase this goal. I have to hit this again and again and again to kind of stepping back and being like, if we're being honest here, I probably have like 40 more years in my career to make moves and to make things happen. Like I don't need to be cramming in five, 10 years of success in one or two years, because that's what like Instagram makes me feel like I need to do. Yes. 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 I have a coach that I've worked with over the last few years and she often says life is a long time. And I just, I love that you have that perspective, Courtney, earlier in your life than I did. Um, I mean, it took me into my early thirties. So it wasn't like, you know, there are definitely people that took decades longer than that to figure out. And that's fine. I think I feel like we're all on our own different timelines. And um, yeah. What did some of that burnout recovery look like for you for someone who might be going through burnout right now, or they're like starting to feel it coming on? What were some like, what were you doing? Like some tangible takeaways for anyone listening? Yeah, I think for one, I had to be really gentle with myself because not only was I running so hard at work, then physically, like exercise wise, I was also pushing it to the max, right? I was really into CrossFit and mm. powerlifting and high intensity interval oh, wow. training. And so it it was just like all the ways, right? And so then after I left, I was like, I have to do some things differently because how how I live is how I live, right? How you're living your days is really how you're living your life. And so uh, I think there's so much truth in in quotes like that and, and, and in believing that because, and so I, I also left and was like, burnout is not an option. Like if I burn out in entrepreneurship, what do I have left? I've already had significant, such huge burnout in the corporate world. And so I, I just didn't know what, what was left. Right. So, uh, yeah, so it was a lot more gentle. So it was a lot more walking and yoga and journaling, like lots of journaling and reading just to refill myself and to refuel. I find reading and journaling for me are two of the best ways that refuel me. And so I did a lot Mm -hmm. of that. I did a lot less work and I always felt really guilty about that. But one of the things I've noticed, like as these years have gone on and I continue to process and heal from my corporate experience, <laughs> that was mostly self-inflicted, yeah. right? Like I signed I signed up for that. I was trying to, you know, I was trying to be kind of normal. I was trying to like do the thing, like to follow yeah. the path that you're supposed to follow. Um, I gave it a, you know, I gave it a full try. I really loved what you said about burnout or burnout recovery and just like how you personally were slowing down um and like how you were changing your workouts and that's something that when it comes to burnout I don't think I had ever considered before like not necessarily like you get burnout from work and from life but I feel like we're we are so focused on how can we change work how can we change what we're doing on a day-to-day basis for our careers when it comes to burnout. Cause that's like what burns us out. We think 
and not looking at the other things that we're doing on a day-to-day basis that are continually depleting us. I think that is a really, really powerful takeaway. So you mentioned um, helping people outsource, you know, like hire freelancers. What is something that people should look out for when they're expanding their team? Maybe just like one thing that you learned is either like a really big red flag or like a really big green flag that would be good for people who are looking for freelancers. Yeah, I think it's more about you as like, are you being a red flag or a green flag for the freelancers? Because, Mm. and I think this comes down to your job posting. Like this is my biggest thing. And the thing I'm so passionate about when we still talk about hiring freelancers and um, I'm still crazy about job postings because it is, it's the key. If you mess up the job posting, it doesn't matter what interview questions you ask. It doesn't matter who you hire if you didn't have the right people in the candidate pool to begin with. And the only way you get them to apply is with the job posting. Wow, that is really right? good advice. Okay, your face, Courtney, right now, it looks like mind blown, right? It's yeah. so fun to see because like, yeah, I, yeah, that was just a really cool moment. I wish everyone like, could see it. it. A simple piece of advice that like it's not about the freelancer it's about you that's crazy so this is like we have it's filming and video so i'll post a clip i'll post a clip of my reaction on instagram so you can go everyone can go see how mind blown i really was that is crazy though but that's so funny that you say that because when i apply to jobs as a freelancer I am very picky about the job postings because if someone just slaps something up there and it's like two sentences and that's it, like that is a red flag for me that if you didn't even have the time or the care to put effort into your job posting, Mm -hmm. like you're probably going to be a disaster of a client or like you aren't clear on what you want, which is going to make my job more difficult. Right. And so, Courtney, you are you a high performer. Right. I know this, like, right? I recruited you. I, I knew you were a high, for, high performer from the beginning. And yeah. And of course we had a spectacular job posting, right? That you applied to. I remember, I remember it quite well. Yes. And um, <laughs> yeah. And I'd say the other mistake though. So that's a big one, not like being clear at all and only like throwing a couple sentences. Uh, some people they'll go the other way and they get really embellished and they tend to look at the big companies. So think Amazon, Target, New York Times. They look at these like amazing huge brands that have been around, you know, 20, 50, 200 years, right? And then they see what they put in their job posting and they don't we don't realize that Amazon can do anything they want. Like they can say whatever they want in a job posting that people that apply at Amazon want to work at Amazon. And so oftentimes, I mean, they'll have hundreds or thousands of applications for a position depending on the role, right? Like think of a marketing job in Amazon or Target. Like those are really hot commodities and, you know, Mm -hmm. so they're just going to have tons and tons of interest internally and externally. And so 
when we do that though, as small business owners, as digital entrepreneurs, you know, as, you know, even like agencies, like on a much smaller scale, if you're not making, so like think like billions, are you, did you make a billion dollars last year? Like I didn't, I mean, spoiler alert, I'm not, a you know, not pulling in a billion dollars in this little business. And, and so that tends to be like a really good litmus test because those like I said, they can say whatever they want and they tend to embellish because those big companies think if they use big fancy words and like sometimes I, if they can't, like if the freelancer can't tell what you want them to do, that would be another, it's another really big red flag to them that if the words are just so complicated and complex, it's gotta be easy, right? Just like anything, social media captions, blog posts, like they're reading it online. Mm -hmm. And so it has to be easy to consume as well. Wow. No, you're absolutely right. I love that advice that it's not necessarily about the person that you're hiring. It's about how you are presenting the opportunity to find the right people. And I am a huge believer in that. Like if you put it out there, the right people will find it and whatever that is. Um, And I think that's so true with job postings as well. So there's some tangible advice in here. I do have a job posting template. I absolutely swear by it. All of, I've used it with all of my clients. It's the exact formula that you used, like that we used when you applied to my client. Yeah. And it's just gangbusters. This fall, I recruited someone. I had 68 applications for one position. I had another client have like 30 project managers apply for her role. I mean, it's just wild how well. So like almost every time it's 30 to 65 applications. And so that's the other side of this. When you get, when you get that kind of scale on your job postings, you just increase your chances of success as well, because it's much more likely Mm -hmm. that you're going to have three to five really outstanding high-performing freelancers in the mix. Absolutely. And they make it easy too to see who's not a good fit, right? Those top three to five Mm. make it so much easier to not settle for, you know, the people that didn't put as much into their application is usually the issue, right? I don't think it's so much of a person issue as it is just how much time did they put into this for you? Yeah. Like an effort thing. Like if you're not willing to put an effort into this application, that tells me like how you do one thing is how you do everything. Like that's how mm-hmm. you're going to show up mm-hmm. in the job too. Absolutely. Exactly. Ooh, that is some awesome, awesome <laughs> advice. Thank you for sharing. I think that's so huge as we all kind of expand our businesses, finding those right fits. And there will be like, like you said, like you're going to make some mistakes and there are going to be some people you have to fire, but it does get, it gets easier. But like you said, like settling, like when you have those good applicants, you don't have to settle. And I think that is so huge. Like don't settle when you are hiring, like really find those people who are going to be a players and are going to show up for your business the way that you show up for your business. Otherwise you're going to have so much turnover or you're not going to be able to outsource the work. Like your plate will still stay full because you can't trust people to do it right, for you. you get that self-fulfilling prophecy where if you think you can't trust people to do as good of a job as you, and then you hire kind of not the right, not the right fit for yeah. you in particular, then it's just kind of a perpetuating problem. And so then it's reinforcing that you can't outsource and then you can't get help and you're still overwhelmed. And, and so I think this is the one way to really break, break that cycle. And, and I think too, that like, 
if you're in like if you're in that situation where you posted a job and you don't feel like you have a top candidate, I think it's better to go back and redo the job posting, like take like take a different approach to it, find a different way to write a job posting and then repost it. Or it could also be where you're posting is another spot you could really look at, you know, broadening where where mm. you're looking as well. Is there anywhere you recommend? I just, I'm all over the board these days. I mean, I, I have yeah. used Upwork quite a bit and I still generally like them for, um, especially for more specialized roles like social media manager, project manager, writers. I tend like those three roles in particular. I think there's just so many people on that platform. Uh, I'm starting to use Hello Savvy more. They're kind of a newer platform, but I'm really excited about the potential um, from them. Abby Ashley, I don't know her personally, but she is such a cool, such a cool businesswoman. And I've just been admiring her. Uh, from afar for a while and using she's like has been training VAs the last so many years. And so I've used like I've used to post in like her VA groups and stuff when I was looking for virtual assistants. I'd say the third one that I used this year that I really am loving is freelancing females. Uh, again, it's a job board. You just oh. you pay so much to post on their job board, maybe 20 or $30 to oh. post the job and then people apply yeah. and it's just phenomenal. It's just like a good talent pool again. Um, really yeah. love that one. Well, so those are my cool. three. Yeah. I love that. I haven't, there are two of those I haven't heard of. So I love that. Need to like try that the next time I need to find a new contractor or something. Cause I typically mm -hmm. do use Upwork for like finding jobs myself, but also hiring people. So I love being able to, I like that. And I typically only hire females anyways. So like I might as well just go <laughs> to the place where there are only females. So I don't have to just like feel bad throwing away all of the applications for, <laughs> for the men. <laughs> so I am so ready to dive into, you know, zone of genius, maximizing your productivity, talking about small goals, like everything that you are focusing on right now. So Emily is actually writing a book that's going to cover all of this, which we would love to hear about. But tell us more about how mm -hmm. we can be like maximizing our productivity, all of the things. Yeah. So the book is really about goals, like goal setting and productivity, because it's what I'm obsessed with. I love, I just love this space. And especially as a creative entrepreneur and so many of us entrepreneurs are so creative, right? Women in general are very creative. And then you also have this layer of entrepreneur, just like more creativity. And so I, what I found for myself is that just the traditional productivity tips and tricks don't always work for me, right? I've tried a lot, a lot of things and some of them have worked okay, others haven't. But I've always been trying to walk this balance of maximizing my productivity. And in particular, how do I use goals with that? Because what I, mm -hmm. I think one of the bigger mistakes I made in the early years in my business was I was just setting huge goals. Like it's like 2016, I'm six months out of corporate and I'm like, I think I'll do a million dollars in business this year. I mean, what? I did not. Like, but I just kept setting that goal, Courtney. Every year I was like, million dollars. This is the year. 2018, 2019. <laughs> it was just crazy. I kept thinking like, I am just one scalable product away from a million dollars. 
<laughs> without really understanding, right? Not even realizing I don't even need a million dollars a year in a business to live the life I want to live. Like all of a sudden, once I had my son in 2020, that's when it finally shifted and I stopped chasing that big goal. And that's also then when I really got serious about understanding why was I even chasing it in the first place? And how did we get here? How did our goals get to be so big that they're completely overwhelming? There is no next step to them. Um, right. So that, that's like what this, that's what this book is really diving into. And it's just like, I get head to toe goosebumps every time I talk about it or share an excerpt or, you know, anything like that. I just like, Wow. Oh, I love how you said, like, I don't even need, like, I don't need to be making a million dollars a year to be living the life that I want. I think that is so incredibly important because I resonate with that on like a smaller scale when it comes to income, like constantly chasing, like feeling the need to, you know, like have a $50,000 month even. And it's like, Mm -hmm. honestly, like I don't need that type of money to live the life that I want right now. And I feel like that's just shoved down our throats so much. If you kind of find your way down the wrong rabbit holes on Instagram of people being like, my $7 million month. And it's like, what? Like, that's well, they're insane. not telling they're not so, telling the whole story either. They're not, you know, we have no idea what kind of investment they have, what kind of capitals involved, what kind of maybe family background they have. Like are they being transparent about, you know, just their True. their background in that way. So there's just so many layers to it that And then also that you can't walk their path either. That's what like upsets me the most about a lot of these online, like a lot of online business courses in particular is like, they're trying to sell you like you can do what I did, but it's like, no, Mm. we can't because you started in 2009 and that path is gone. Like you wouldn't optimize a blog post to 2012, right? Like some of my biggest (laughs) blogging clients, I just think like the newer ones, I'm like, you you can't follow their path step by step. It won't work because it would make no sense to write. Yeah. It would make no sense. No, that's so powerful. I mean, same like you can't grow on Instagram today like Mm -hmm. you could 10 years ago. Absolutely. It's like, oh, well, I just posted and the followers came. Like it doesn't really work like that anymore. That's such a valuable point Mm -hmm. that like these people who are, you know, like do what I did. I'm telling you my process that might not work nowadays. And right, or sometimes you they sell you on this like air. Yeah, go ahead. No, yeah. We Sorry, were talking just got, like, so about this. Yeah. Me too. I feel so strongly about this. But we were just talking about how like people are like giving advice being like, this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. I have the answers. And like, mm-hmm. it's always like fitting a square peg into a round hole for me. Like it doesn't work when people are prescribing these things because we're different people. Our brains work differently. Everything is different. Yeah. And I think that's particularly true in the goal space. So I've read, I think I've read all the books I can find on goal setting and even productivity and habits and all of these things, right? I have done my research going into this project and I found, like you said, a lot of it is very prescriptive. And that's what I really want to do differently with this book that I'm working on is I want it to be more empowering for the reader to find their own way, to find what works for them. 
you know, with suggestions, I have ideas, of course, that you can try out, but it's really about finding it because I think it is, I think it's just like zone of genius. You know, there are some zone of genius quizzes out there, but I don't think any of them are great because I think it's too individualized. I think it should be, it's, I think our zone of geniuses are so unique to us as individuals that, that no quiz can give you, can give you the answer. I think you have to walk it and find your own zone of genius for yourself because that's like where the empowerment from it comes. I agree with that so much. So you were saying like, you know, you wanted to have a million dollar year, Mm. but that goal was so big. There wasn't a next step. What's kind of the process that we should take to be creating smaller goals or to be creating goals that do have more like steps that we can follow? Yeah. So that's where we've been like mentioning small goals. I think of small goals as an acronym. So do you remember SMART goals? Are you familiar with them? Yeah. That was kind of my inspiration for it, right? It was specific, measurable, assignable, realistic, and time-bound. That's the SMART goal method. And there's all these ones, right? There's BHAG, Big Hairy Audacious Goal. And and so I wanted to come up with my own acronym of like, what would I advise someone on how to set a goal? And so my acronym is SMALL. And so the S, can I tell you what they are? Do you mind? Yes, please. So the (laughs) S stands for simple. And so I'm advocating for easy goals, set easier goals for yourself. So this isn't about not having big dreams and big visions, but that lives up here, right? That lives in the vision space. Goals, I think, are more effective when they are about direct action that you can take. And so when they're simple and easy, you know the next step, you know what needs to be done, and uh, it just builds momentum then because you're accomplishing things and checking things off. It just like builds you feel so accomplished yeah. all the time. And then it allows you to accomplish so much more because you're not feeling like I didn't make a million dollars this week. I didn't write a book this week. Right. Cause neither of those things happen in a week for, you know, for mm-hmm. people like us. Um, and then M I call minus or plus because I still like having an objective measure to it. So I think of it more like a fail or a pass, pass fail. And this helps, I think it helps support that minus or plus idea, or it helps support the simple, easy goal idea because it's um, more binary. It's like you did it or you didn't do it. That's it. And then we can track that, right? So if you get lots of pluses, that's awesome. It feels great. If you get a lot of minuses, we can start reflecting on, okay, why, why aren't those things getting done? Do you need help? Should you even be doing it? Like maybe, maybe it's just not the right time. Like maybe, you know, you need to put this off a few weeks or a few months until you have more space and capacity to deal with it. So that's the M minus or plus. A is actionable. So this is about control. Like you cannot control your revenue. I do not care how big of a business you are. No business controls their revenue because they cannot control who buys their products You can't control who signs up for your email list, who likes your social media posts, right? All we can do is put it out there. And so this is what I've noticed, particularly with the bloggers, like the most, like the biggest bloggers, the seven-figure bloggers that I've worked with, they really focus on like what they need to do for the week, right? How many blog posts, how many social media posts, like what, right? It's all about the calendar and the tactics and like the thing, because that's what they can control. They cannot control the traffic. They can't control Google's algorithm, all of that, right? Yeah, so that is actionable. Keep it in your direct control. 
million dollars isn't in your control. And even with me, the book, my goal isn't to write a book because it's like, that's just too big. It's too big. And so my goal is to write 250 words a day. That's it. See how it's like minus or plus. It's a really easy goal. If I went to a thousand words, I would struggle with that because I often don't have time to write a thousand words. I often write, you know, 500 to 750 a day. But if I set my goal bigger, I would be failing, 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 even though I'm actually succeeding in writing, right? It's this paradox. It's like really frustrating <laughs> with big goals that that it does this to us, right? And it's such like a mindset issue. Um, and then the first L is little timelines. So I think of goals in terms of a day or a week. And I think all of these things we've been talking about here support each other to like bringing it down smaller, getting it more actionable, putting it in your control and little timelines. So if you need like three to four weeks to do a goal, I think it's too big. And I think you should break it down into some smaller action steps that you can get done in a week at the most. Um, because again, then that's how we can see the progress toward those things that, that we want to do. And then the last L we've touched on a little bit, it's lifestyle alignment. And this is where, right. When I had that moment of realizing I did not need a million dollars in my business to take my son to the park every Friday. Right. And I still get so emotional about that because when I think about what it takes to run those seven-figure business, you know, one to three million. I have some clients in that space and I see what they do and it's amazing and they're incredible women. And at the same time, I think for, I know for me, it would take me away from my family too much, more than I want to be away from them. And so uh, it's that, and again, this is so personal, right? Like for them, for these seven-figure women that I get to support, uh, they, and and six too, six and seven-figure women, um, they like they have the right balance for them and their their strengths and their personality and i have the right alignment for my for my own and it can look different so that is small goals <laughs> i love that i love that that's an acronym and that you came up with it but that like that really does give you a sneak peek at kind of what that acronym means but I think my, well, I'm, I think my favorite part is the A. Mm. And I love how you said, like, my goal is 250 words a day when you're writing your book, but that you often exceed that, you know, some, oh, yeah. like you typically write 500 to 750, because I feel like that is the thing with these big goals is it's like you, it's just hard to start. It feels overwhelming. Mm. So creating a small goal and then being like, okay, I hit 250, but I'm still inspired. Like I'm still in the zone. I'm in the flow. Like I can, I can exceed that. You don't have to mm-hmm. stop there and like, right. And I know, allow hit, the vision to you guide. Set and call it a day. Right. But I think of the visions because I, I don't want us to give up like what we've been using as big goals. I just think they're better when we think of them as big dreams or big visions and allow them to guide more like a lighthouse so they can they can guide our action every day, every week, right? But it's not like you never really reach a lighthouse, right? The lighthouse is not a destination for any ship. 
It's just to navigate, you know, this, this portion of a coastline. And so that's why I like that imagery so much because it's just been really helpful for me. I'd say the other side of that too, is then noticing like, when can we let go of a vision as well? Like I've had to let go. I had to let go of the vision of being a a seven figure company. Like I, I just don't know that that is ever happening in my life or it's at least not serving me right now. Like it's not a helpful lighthouse to have. And so I've just had to like set it to the side. Like you are not helpful. Like you're not helping me along this part of the coast, right? You can't use one lighthouse to like circumnavigate one of the great lakes. I always think of Lake Superior. It is massive and it's my closest great lake to me. Um, and so I always think like, you can't use just one lighthouse to go the entire coast of Lake Superior. Like it wouldn't work. Yeah. So that's where like the same thing, like that's where like when we're less attached then to those big dreams and big visions and we don't have to get there, we can just allow those goals to then build over time. And then, you know, maybe we will experience it someday or maybe it'll just evolve into something even better than we ever could have imagined it being. Oh, that is incredible. I think that's so important. The just the switch shift of like these big goals that you have and just, you know, changing that to like big vision. Just to the two those two words, like goal for me is like a to-do list thing. Like I have to check mm-hmm. it off, but vision is just like it feels so big and expansive and exciting and just like guiding me to that. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love mm-hmm. that shift. So for someone who is a big goal setter, you know, they have these big goals that feel unachievable. They have a hard time getting started on them. How do we make that switch to go from being like a big goal setter to then creating small goals to kind of help work our way towards that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it starts with, I think first it's that shift in the language at the top level. So instead of thinking of your goals as big, like big goals, like starting to think of that big thing as either a vision or a dream, um, whichever word resonates. And then I think it comes down to starting to practice, like just try it out, just try this approach for a week and then hopefully a few weeks. And I think if you can start to just try it as an experiment and see how it works for you and see, like, do you feel like you achieved more by lowering the bar? Because I think you will. I mean, the the thing with the goals and where we are right now with goal setting, Courtney, is that it comes, the all of the research that, that supports big goals, it comes out of three areas. And the first one is large corporations. No surprise, right? They're of they're of course going to study goals, but they're studying it from an organizational perspective, not you as an individual. And then the second Mm -hmm. is education. Again, we should know how people learn, adults, children, teens, all of it, right? And then the third is athletic performance. And again, it makes a lot of sense. It's a huge business, right? Um, Sports, professional sports, Olympic sports. I mean, right? So we study goals in terms of athletic performance. That's fine. But that leaves the rest of us out. We are not represented, especially creative people are not being represented in that research and no one is funding it. And again, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But 
But we also need to acknowledge it. And so I think that too, if you can look at that evidence and see it that way, because for me, this was a huge mindset shift. And I only saw this a few months ago. I mean, after all these years, it took me until three months ago to realize like who was funding the goal setting research and the productivity tips and all of that, right? So again, if you don't feel like to the listener, right? To you listening right now, if you don't feel like you are represented by one of those three groups, then it really is time to start considering your goal setting processes and like consider whether they're working for you. Because I would say if they are working for you, you know, then there's no problem, right? But, but they're not working for so many of us, right? They weren't working for me. They weren't working for my clients. So that is absolutely wild. Like I, you know, I don't resonate with any of those. Like I'm not an Olympic athlete. (laughs) I'm not a professional athlete. Like I'm not a student anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm certainly not in corporate. That is absolutely crazy. Interesting. So yeah, just kind of like a, I love that the mindset shift and then just, you know, kind of, kind of start. So um, maybe you can kind of give us some more specific examples that you've been using in your life because I'm very curious, like, what, as you're writing the book, like, what has that process looked like for you? Mm-hmm. Because that, that seems so cool. Like, how cool will it be to hold your book in your hand? But that just feels so daunting. Like, how do you go about writing a book? What does this process look like for you? Yeah. So I think, one, it has looked like wanting to write a whole book my first whole life. Right? So there's... Like, Step one, I have wanted this for a really long time. I've always known I would be a writer, an author. And now that I'm at this point in my life, I'm like, this is it. Like, I've never really liked writing blog posts. I mean, I do it, but I don't love it. But books, like, I love writing books. So I think part one is understanding if it's even, like, the right medium for you because it might not be. I think sometimes people force their books because they think they need a book for credibility or what have you. And... uh I just like that, that's not it for me. Um, And then I think that that daily goal has really helped, right? Because for so long, even for the last few years, I've been like, book has been on my radar, but I wasn't actively taking any action toward it. And I didn't think I was failing or anything toward it. I was just not working on it. And then Mm -hmm. this last year when I I developed the um, outline in the beginning of 2022, And then by June, I was like starting to work on it, but not consistently. And I was like, okay, what, why am I not consistently writing? And then in August, I settled on the small goal on doing 250 words, writing 250 words a day and just seeing where it went. And so then I started sharing on Instagram, I would share my daily writing numbers and like how much had this added up to. And it's been so fun to, to notice that. And also on a monthly basis as well. Um, I often write in the morning, like I write from five to 7am a lot, partly because I'm a morning person, partly because that's, I just write the easiest then the writing just before I do anything else, it just seems to come out more naturally. And that's about me, right. And my rhythms and, and my lifestyle as well. Right. I've got a toddler at home, so he gets up between seven and seven thirty. So it's also been like kind of a nice push, right. Cause when I get up at five, I'm like, okay, you have two hours. Like, what are you, what are you choosing to do today? And yeah. And then also I don't push it. Like if there are days where I am just not feeling the book, like I just skip it. 
And what's interesting is I do still tend to average, like within a month, I still tend to average over 250 words a day, but I don't actually write every single day because I allow those like days where I write more than kind of compensate for days that I don't write at all. So that's kind of I, I how I'm doing it. I love that right there. Just kind of like honoring yourself as you're going through that. And because I feel like sometimes goals can feel so, can just put so much pressure on you. Um, but I love that. Like, no, I exceeded my goal yesterday or a few times this week. Like, it's okay. I don't have to have this pressure to feel like force because then it like, it doesn't flow as well. It never comes as easy when you feel like you're in a position of force. Absolutely. I, I just okay. think the quality so, of this book, even at rough draft level, is far better than it would be if I was trying to force something to happen. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. I cannot wait to read <laughs> it. I can't wait to have a coffee. Uh, that's so exciting. So you mentioned your son. How has you know, how have you kind of been balancing everything? Like, you know, being a successful business owner, writing your own book, and also being a mother? What has that looked like for you? Have you been balancing that? Yeah, I think there are a few things I do. Of course, journaling is huge, right? More writing is what I need. But journaling is really how I process my emotions. It's how I just note, like reflect and notice and learn and grow and all of those things. And so that, that's been a big one. I think movement has also been the second key to this. I have to exercise every morning. I am back to my higher intensity ways and I'm really happy about it. Uh, and then I usually walk every afternoon. So if, if most days I can hit both of those movement sessions, I'm just a better person. <laughs> I'm nicer to be around, I guess. When I can get that in. <laughs> and then the other funny thing is that as I was yeah. thinking about this question is I was thinking the third one is if I can make dinner, if, if we can make dinner a few most nights of the week, then I'm also good, right? If like food and movement and journaling can happen. It's so funny. Like it's, there's no special, like for me, it's just so basic and simple. It's not, there's no business tips or tricks or anything. I guess these are my business tips and tricks on, on balance. Yeah. I love that. So how have you been, you know, for some people, and I think like for past me, that seems like a lot, you know, like working out, journaling, cooking dinner, mm. spending time with my family while also pushing my business forward. How have you kind of managed that being able to fit that all in and have it all be you know, something that you enjoy and something that is fun and that isn't coming from a place of force. Yeah. I think it comes down to allowing the business to be where it's at. So I'm not pushing the business anywhere. I'm just allowing it. I'm just seeing where it mm -hmm. goes. Right. I'm just, I am so curious this way too. And I, I am this way with my son too. He's, he's not quite three, but I, he's starting to get to that age where I just, I want to see where it goes. Like he's starting to have more of his own original ideas and visions and I just have to see where it goes. And so that's also how I feel about business at this point as well. I just want to see where it's going to go. And yeah, there are like, I've just kind of let go of, there's no milestones, there's no objectives to hit. No, like, right. It's just more about 
what do I need to do today or this week to move my business forward? Um, and so mm-hmm. I think I think that's a big piece of it, right? I bet it's a mindset shift for me that it's more about seeing where the business goes instead of trying to get it to be anywhere by any certain time. Oh my gosh, that is so <laughs> that's so important. Like what? I've never heard anyone like re- actually say that because we get so caught up in this rat race of like, I have to create this new product and I have to launch this masterclass and I need to be posting mm-hmm. on social media all of these times. Like I need to be landing this many clients. I need to make this much money this month. When in reality, like so often, if you just like take a step back and you look at what you've created, like that is fine. Like that is good. It's perfect. It's beautiful. It's paying the bills. And like, you're Mm -hmm. still affording yourself all of these freedoms that you have by being an entrepreneur as well. And Mm -hmm. I think we so often as entrepreneurs and as women just get caught up in working so much and just like pushing. Look at our role models though. You know, like look at the, I think of like, think of the people that are held out to, especially as women role models in this space. And that's what they're showing us. Right. And so it's hard. Like, I don't think there's a lot, there are a lot of people that are advocating, right. The people that are advocating for my way don't necessarily have the same reach. And I don't think that's like bad, good or otherwise. I hope, I mean, I think I will have scale eventually. Um, I'm just looser about the timeline. It just doesn't have to happen on I mean, does it matter if it happens this year or in 2026 that, you know, I all of a sudden have 100,000 Instagram followers? Like, it really, do- in the end, it doesn't really matter, does it? No, not at all. I love that. And I think that's something that every female CEO needs to hear and remember that, like, sometimes it's okay for, your, for you and your business to just be, to be where you're at. And, like, you don't have to constantly be pushing and creating and sometimes like it can just be because what we've created is still incredible. And like you have, you've created a business out of thin air regardless. <laughs> like we should celebrate that more than exactly. we do and let ourselves enjoy the freedoms and the, like the perks, the job perks mm-hmm. of being an entrepreneur. Like how many women get into this to be able to spend more time with their family and then they spend all of their days working. Mm-hmm. And you, you have the freedom to do that. Sometimes you just kind of have to like unplug mm-hmm. a little bit. But I did, and I did do it. I did it the other way, right. For five to seven years. So it, it, it's been an intentional process Absolutely. that, um, I love that. Yeah. I'm finding my way this way. I love that. So you have given us so much advice, like multiple, like mind blowing moments in this episode, <laughs> but if there is like, one lesson that you have learned throughout your career, it can be like, you know, any aspect of it, but that you want to share that you think could impact another female CEO that you think by like, kind of saying something, it might help them avoid making the same mistake. Like what would that advice be? I I think my guidance there would be you don't have to see the purpose in the moment. And what I mean by that is there are so many things now that I have more, a little more life experience and career experience, 
I can see things that happened five, 10 years ago that are now paying dividends. That if I hadn't stuck with things, like if I hadn't stuck, because I've been in business now seven and a half years. And if I had abandoned three years ago, I there are things I wouldn't be experiencing today if I had made a different choice. And I couldn't see that, right? There was a course I created in 2018 called the Meaningful Work Blueprint that I'm starting to bring back again for people who are more traditionally employed to figure out their purpose and meaning, meaningful work for them. And I couldn't, like I made it and it didn't do very well in 2018. And then I kind of set it aside while I was recruiting and now I'm bringing it back. And it's it's still an amazing course. Like I'm shocked <laughs> How good it is. I was like, how did you do this? Like, you totally thought this was terrible in 2018. And now you're like looking at it with fresh eyes. And so I just I feel like that 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 nothing is wasted. And you can't always see the purpose of everything in the moment. Um yeah. I just wish more people, right, in their 20s and early 30s would know that because I think it or and, and at any age, but in particular, I think of the young, younger professionals, younger entrepreneurs that that if they can embrace that and hold some space for it um, and allow themselves time to figure out how they will use it. Because also my master's degree, when I was in it, Courtney, I did not know what I was going to do with it. I had no clue. I was like, I just know I need this master's degree in industrial and organizational psychology. That's all I knew. People would be like, what are you going to do with that? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) But but it's like totally come into play, right? Doing organizational strategy, doing like the recruiting, career coaching, all of it. Like it's been super helpful. And and it was honestly like I finished that at the end of 2013 and I left my job in 2015. So it was a very like in hindsight, that was a very short window of time. Um mm-hmm. between when I wasn't really using the degree and when I was. It was literally a year and a half. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Um, yeah. I love that. Just to kind of, I feel like we just live, our society now is so like instant gratification focused that like, if we don't see results immediately or the results that we want, we aren't hitting the goals that we have set that are so big that we just like try to abandon ship or it's just like, okay, on to the next thing. This isn't it. When things really do take time. Um, and sometimes time is all you need. I love that. Mm-hmm. And to, you know, never fully like empty out the trash bin, like, you know, keep, keep the mm-hmm. things that you're creating and they could always come back. Um, exactly. Yeah. Be repurposed. Oh, wow. Oh, Emily, this episode has been so incredible. I have loved getting to talk with you. I feel like your insight and just kind of the way that your brain works is such a breath of fresh air and like, I, I honestly, like my shoulders, I feel like they came down from my ears a little bit, like just having this conversation and like reframing goals into like dreams and visions. It's like, wow, there's so much less like stress and pressure on that just by changing it, you know, changing the way you look at it. Um, and same with like, just kind of letting your business be um, sometimes when that's what you need in life. So thank you so much for bringing all of your incredible insight um, to this episode today. Please let everybody know where they can find you, where they can connect with you, how they might be able to work with you, how we can stay up to date on the book, everything. Yeah. So the best place for 
like just more of me personally, me professionally. And um, also the book updates is on Instagram. So I'm at emily.perron. It's P-E-R-R-O-N. That's the best place because I love my DMs. I love like sharing excerpts, excerpts over there. That's that's my favorite place. I also have a Zone of Genius workbook that I want to mention just in case you were like resonating with some of that part of our conversation. Uh, you can grab that at emilyperrin.com slash Z-O-G. And it's really uh, meant to be a resource to help you get started on finding your own zone of genius so that you can like start maximizing your productivity because you really do have to have some awareness of like where do you get the most energy and what's draining you in order to really tap in and maximize your productivity a little more. I love that. We'll have all of that linked in the show notes so you guys can go check that out and get easy access. That sounds like a no-brainer so we can all be a bit more productive. And yes, Emily is sharing excerpts of her book on Instagram. So if any of the stuff that we kind of talked about today with the small goals and zone of genius was like intriguing, you'll be able to get like lots of sneak peeks and more mind-blowing moments uh, on her Instagram with excerpts of the book then. And then do you know yet? Like, do we have an estimated release date for the mm-hmm. book? No, and that's part of the magic, Courtney. Not yet. Especially this first draft. I need no timeline on it because I feel like if I put deadlines on anything, um, so I'm kind of like in limbo. I don't, I don't want any deadlines yet. I need to finish the first draft, and then, then there will be a timeline. I mean, slightly. I hope by the end of the year, early next year. But we'll just, we'll see Mm -hmm. how it goes. Right. I'm just like just starting to talk to publishers and putting those timelines together. But up until this point, I really haven't wanted any kind of pressure to deliver something by a certain date so that I could get the best quality um, book written. Oh, that's so exciting. You really do like embody your work, um, which I so appreciate. I feel like we see so many people out there preaching things and then it's not actually like how they are living their life or what they are doing. Um, So I really appreciate that. Such a breath of fresh air. Emily, thank you so, so much for joining us on today's episode of the Female CEO Show. You can find Emily on Instagram and all of the links to everything in the show notes. Thank you, friends, for joining us today and we will catch you on the next episode.